Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Well, it's the old coon hunter Steve Fielder one more time coming at you with the Gone to the Dogs podcast. That name Gone to the Dogs came from my mother. She used to look out the kitchen window and see my dad's dogs out there in the pen. Always more than he agreed that he would have and say, Homan, we've gone to the dogs. But anyway, we're going to go to the dogs tonight with a fellow that uh, I met, I guess, back in September of last year or somewhere thereabout. And uh, he's a young coon hunter that I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a long time because I don't know when I've met a guy that hunts anymore or loves it anymore. Keston Jesse, how you doing, brother? No, I'm doing good. How you doing? Well, I'm I am what I am. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't pretty, but it's still kicking. My buddy Lindell Price says another day without my toes po- pointing up. I guess I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keston, it's good to have you on the podcast, man. Uh when when was it actually? Do you remember when you got? Uh, I think how, I'll, I will tell our listeners this. Uh, uh, you contacted me, I believe, something about a puppy. Well, I'll let you tell that story. Yeah, I contacted you around this time last year, and uh, I got out of coon hunting. I had a night shift job, been on night shift for like six years. I got to hunt much, <clears throat> sold out all the coon hunting stuff, got into coyote hunting. And I worked with a guy, and he bear hunted a lot, coon hunted a lot. He always aggravated me, wanted me to get another dog, and I never would because I knew I didn't have time to hunt it, being on night shift. Well, I started my own business, and uh, that sort of opened some time up. And I kept telling myself in the back of my mind, don't go back into this, don't go back into this. I started listening to this podcast while I was at work. And I, did, I couldn't hold it off anymore. I had to get another puppy. And uh, I was listening to you on a podcast, and I messaged you and asked you if you knew where any well-bred pups were. And that's when you related me to the puppy I got today. Yeah, and I believe at that time um, I referred you up to my good friend Randy Smith in Pennsylvania, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. And uh, bought a pup off Randy, and you went all the way up there and picked it up and brought it back to him. Well, that was just an excuse for me to get to run up there and hunt a night or two with Randy. I always look forward to that. I, at that time, my mother was still living there in uh, in nearby Taswell. I guess that's, what's that, 30 miles maybe from you, something like that? Yeah, I'm going to say 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Yeah. Well, at any rate, uh, I being at my brother's there and all, it gave me a good excuse to run up to Pennsylvania, and I did. Uh, I went up and hunted and picked up this nice pup. And uh, yeah, and uh, he's out of uh, Cooney Valley Pack of Sean Burdens and Randy Smith's uh, Lone Pine Friend female. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, yeah, well, before we get into talking about the, this dog you named Clyde, uh, and we've. Uh, added a Bonnie to the mix. That's I think I've heard that somewhere before, Bonnie and Clyde. But anyway, uh, let's get just a bit of background about you. Where, where were you born? How old are you? Tell me about your family and 
just a little bit background. I'm from Lebanon, Virginia, and uh, I got three kids. I got a two-year-old, a three-year-old getting ready to turn four, and a seven-year-old. And my wife and uh, I run my own business, a lawn and landscape business, and pretty much hunt six, seven nights a week. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> well, that's true. I know a lot of times uh, we talk just about every day, and um, you're just getting in at dark and uh, taking care of your kennel work out there and stuff and grab a bite to eat and off the woods you go. You uh, you are, ag- are how we used to say, you're ate up with it, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I go every chance I get it. I mean, it's regularly six nights a week. Uh, I might take a night off if it's raining or you know, one of the kids got something they want to do or something like that. But other than that, I'm in the woods. Well, I think that's what makes dogs. And uh, as we talk here today for our listeners, uh, I think they're going to see the kind of dedication and, and determination that you have for the sport. And you cannot uh, underplay that. You can't um, make excuses for not hunting a good young dog. No matter how that dog, how well it's bred and uh, how many wins its parents have and and all of that sort of thing, uh, that dog is not going to make a dog sitting in a pen or on the end of a chain. And that's I think, nice. yeah, and I think that's where, where a lot of guys make a mistake. All right, well, let's, uh, I came back from Pennsylvania had never met you face to face. We talked several times on the phone, and I met you there at the local Hardee's in Tazewell, and you picked your pup up. Kind of tell us a little bit about Clyde, how he was when you picked him up, how old he was, and and some of those things from the very earliest days. What I want to accomplish with this podcast today, Keston, if we can, is to try to help people out there that have puppies, they're trying to start them. And, um, you know, maybe the way that you started uh, Clyde is a a little bit unorthodox because you didn't use another dog to start him. And uh, just kind of lay that out a little bit for me, as much as you can remember from the very earliest days. All right. I picked him up off you, uh, brought him home, I Kept him right here around the house, played with him in the yard, just got him used to me. Uh, he stayed in the house with us. The kids played with him, just really buddied up with him. He wasn't but four months old, just turned four months old when I got him. And from the week I got him, every night, during that, it was it was around this time last year, every night, me and my old girl, we'd just take him on walks through the woods, down the creek, places where none of those came and I, we went every night and just just walking him. And uh, it just sort of progresses, you know, they go. Well, how did walk. he act at first when you started on those walks with him? Yeah, it's, they, they go from walking right with you and then, you know, a month down the road, they're venturing out 100 yards, 150 yards, another month, 200 yards, 250 yards. He was seven months old. Uh, he started striking and running tracks, and he would get to trees, 
and he would just sit there, wouldn't tree, wouldn't bark. And uh, I never would go to him, just, you know, didn't really know what he was doing. And then I got to thinking about it, you know, he's he's probably treeing coons and just not barking up. And uh, so I started going to him off a of Garmin, and he would always have a coon. I never would give it to him or nothing like that, you know, he wasn't treeing on it. And uh, went for a long time like that before he finally treed his first one. Well, let's wait right here. Let, let me interrupt you now. You okay. walked this pup in the woods for roughly how long before uh, we got to this point you're talking about right now? I'm going to say six nights a week for three months straight. He was in the woods. And, and in that three months' time, he had really never done anything other than getting away from you and going stationary and you found that he was under a coon but not barking at it. Yeah. I mean he the 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 type of things he was picking up early on like that was he crossing creeks, coming through fences, getting used to being around cows, uh just all that stuff. And you know, I, I would leave the house knowing I wasn't gonna treat coon and sometimes it was real aggravating, you know. You didn't really particularly want to go, especially when it started getting cold. But just like you said at the beginning of the podcast, you can't make a dog by throwing it in the kennel and leaving it. Well, you certainly had the t- patience and the determination. Now, let's let's break right here a little bit to go back to your earliest experiences with coon hunting. What do you oh. remember about that? Because you had you said that you'd gotten away from it, got into coyote coyote hunting and all of that sort of thing but what what are some of those early experiences you remember yeah i started uh coon hunting actually with a neighbor of mine when i was like eight years old uh he, he was an older guy and uh i would go with him probably three four nights a week and uh school nights mom would let me go with him and uh you know we'd get back pretty early but i always remember Fridays in school, that's all I'd think about all day long was getting out of school because I knowed I was going to hunt from dark to daylight that Friday night into Saturday. And uh, went from there, and we ended up moving. And when we moved is when I got my first dog because I sort of we moved away from him. I didn't have nobody to go with. And I bought a dog off a local breeder. And uh, at that time, I was probably 10 years old. I didn't know nothing about starting a dog. And I bought a female walker dog. And she just run loose all the time. And she got to where she was just getting treed. And we come home from something one night. I was walking up on the porch, and I heard her treed. And I went to her, and she had a coon. And, Lord, you talking about excited. I was excited. Ten years old, dog treated coon. Shot the coon out to her. Brought her straight home like I really had something. And throwed her in the kennel, you know. And then started hunting her every night. And to this day, that's probably the best dog I've ever owned. And, uh. When I started putting her up, I mean, I was hunting her every night, 10 years old, 11 years old, by myself. And uh, then I started hunting with another older guy. Okay, let me interrupt you right here, folks, because I know that there's probably some skeptics out there that are saying, wait a minute, this kid's 10 years old. He's out there hunting uh, by himself and training this dog and catching coons with him. But I don't think they understand that, you know, were you basically raised in town or out in the country? Uh, I, I was raised uh, pretty much on a dairy farm. Yeah. So yeah. you were around farming and animals and the woods and all that as long yeah. as you can remember, right? 
Yeah, from the time I from the time I was in seventh grade, I actually had a full time job on a dairy farm. From seventh grade on, full time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly uh, where your work ethic came from, I'm sure, and and you did that kind of work for quite a while, and then it, it, was it from there that you moved on to being a coal miner? Yeah, I went into the mines, and I've done that, and just that just didn't leave enough time for me to, you know, hunt, be with my kids, be with my wife, you know, divide the time, and I love those things too much to, you know, spend all my time doing that, and I know I had to do something come up with something to do to free some time up so I could hunt and still spend time with my family and work. Well, before we recorded uh, or started recording this podcast, you and I were talking a little bit of preparation. And you said something I think is really profound, and it's probably uh, uh, maybe the excuse that a lot of people have, and, and it's probably a legitimate excuse. But what did you tell me about successful people in the hunting world? You got to hunt. You got to hunt. And I feel that the dog will teach you more than you can teach the dog if you'll just pay attention to the dog. And well, uh, I well, think you told me about what was it you told me about time? Time will tell. I, I always say, you know, everything takes time. To be to be good at anything in life, you gotta have time to invest. You gotta have that's one thing that's you can't replace is time. Deer hunting, coon hunting, turkey hunting, coyote hunting. The person that puts the most time in it's gonna be the successful person. Well, you know, the irony of that is you let too much time go away before you retire like I did. And then, you know, you you have the time, but you don't have the legs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you don't yeah. have, you know, the body ages, the mind stays young. The mind wants to go every night, but the body yeah. won't support it. But I think you've certainly been a great example of that. And I think those listeners out there, if you're going to invest in, in training a coonhound pup, uh, and do it the way you've done it, oh, you know, you're definitely going to have to have the time to invest in it. And that's one of the things about coon hunting that makes it uh, possible for a lot of us. And down through the years, that was my case, is that you work a day job, but then you have to put in that investment in time at night out there with that dog. That's right. And, you know, I'll step back here and say this, too. Uh, talking about the coon hunting when I was 10 years old, and it wasn't like my parents was, you know, letting me go way down the road or nothing. I'm talking about we had land behind the house. You know, I was hunting behind the house. I wasn't shooting no coons out or nothing like that. They weren't turning me loose with a gun at 10 years old. I was just going out there treeing coons, seeing coons, recutting off trees. Just, I just loved to hunt. I mean, killing was never no, no big deal to me, really. Well, very much like my experience, you know, just loving to be out in the woods with the dog, I suppose. Um, well, um, so anyway, so you what what was the breeding on this dog that you you said was the best that you ever had? There was there's a guy here in town. 
everybody around here used to hunt his dogs, and it was uh, Red Eagle Casey was the sire to it. And honestly, Steve, I can't remember what the female was that mm-hmm. it was out of. Yeah, but it was a walker dog then, right? It it, it was a walker dog, yeah, female. Mm-hmm. Female, and, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. I guess that's kind of why you wanted, when you started looking for a pup, you kind of wanted to get a walker then, didn't you? Uh, yeah, that's all I've ever had. Uh, that's really all I've ever been around. That's, you know, it's the most common thing around it, which it's the most common thing anywhere, I believe, anymore. Yeah, we're getting, uh, folks, we're doing this via cell phone, and we're getting just a little bit of distortion there, but I, I believe it's still uh, legible, and uh, we'll go on. Okay, so Clyde, now you spent this three months with Clyde, taking him all, let's say, a minimum of six nights a week out there just walking in the woods. We go through this stage where he's you he's treeing, but he's not barking at it. Where did he go from there? Well, that's when I actually uh, took another dog with him, and uh, and this this wasn't like an ever night deal. This was a one time deal. Took another dog with him, and uh, treated him. And he, he done the same thing. The other dog actually backed him. He went in there. He wasn't saying nothing. The other dog goes in there and starts treeing. So I tie Clyde back, and I just start petting this other dog. I mean, I get this other dog going good. And uh, Clyde just starts barking. And uh, got him off that and uh, come back to the house. And I want to say it was two nights later, took Clyde out by himself, and he's treated his first coon. And he's been treating him ever since. Yeah, you know, that I, that idea of tying a dog back and not letting him or her be part of the action uh, is it works wonders for young dogs. And, you know, this podcast gets a lot of correspondence, a lot of questions from younger hunters. And I kind of laugh, Keston, because I know uh, it didn't take me very long with you to realize that you knew more, a lot more about coon hunting than you were letting on because you asked all kinds of questions. I mean, yeah. it was almost every day as we talked, any evenings or whatever, and you'd say, now I want to ask you this. I want to ask you something about that. What What do you have to say about that? I think that uh, there's something to learn from everybody. Uh, if you just ask questions and don't ask them just to ask them, ask them and take notes on them, you know. Uh, try them just because they don't sound like they'll work don't mean they won't work everybody does things different you know just something else to put in the back of your head you know to try one day uh even people that you go hunting with and maybe you don't think they got the best dogs they don't you know but there's still something that you can learn from them there's something to learn from everybody you know your way ain't always the only way well, we're going to talk about your visit to Autumn, your first trip to Automotes here a little bit and all, and I want to, we'll kind of get back to that aspect right there. But again, with the focus of our podcast today being, you know, trying to help somebody out there. When you were going all those nights, those three months of walking Clyde, walking him and walking him, what was going through your head? Did, did you ever get discouraged? Or did you? Were you always optimistic about what was going to happen? 
No, I mean, definitely. It's in the back of your mind. I mean, uh, who wouldn't go out there and walk for three months and not get discouraged? I mean, that was nights I was out there and, you know, man, I, I mean, I got aggravated several nights. And, uh, but I think a lot of that comes back to when I was younger, I never, I've never, Clyde is the first dog I've started without using another dog. Right. I've always started dogs using other dogs. I've always hunted with other people, older guys, and they always had great dogs. So my measuring stick was sort of way up there. You know, I know what I wanted. I just, I was just learning as I go about how to get it without another dog. And, uh, yeah, there was several nights I got really discouraged, you know, thought about quitting, thought about what in the world have I got myself into. I know I shouldn't have got back into this, but just like anything, like we talked about earlier, time, you know, any good thing in life takes time. Well, certainly. And, you know, I, I think back, uh, well, this doesn't have anything about to do with the coon hunting, but Abraham Lincoln, many would say, was the greatest president of this uh country and the fact I guess he brought us through that horrible civil war and all that but how many times did he fail for public office he'd run for office he'd get beat uh, you know time after time and then uh, you know but he, he stuck with it I think because he loved the country and he felt that he could he could change it or, or help it somehow. So anyway, a word to those out there that are listening and are attempting to train a pup. Uh, you know, patience and time is so important. And I don't think we can overstate this idea of patience. And we're going to talk about another walker dog here in a minute that's kind of tried your patience and mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we want to talk about uh, her as well. But um, I guess the point I'm trying to make here and doing a poor job of it is, um, you know, what the people out there that uh, get a puppy and think, well, this is a well-bred puppy. You ought to be doing like those, those I see on the Internet, training his own coon at five months old, winning night hunts and making night champion before he's a year old, and yada, yada, yada. They're not all like that, and they're not all uh, cut out. Uh, to to be uh, those quick starters. Um, well, let's. I don't want to get away from Clyde. Let's let's keep the progression going with this Clyde dog, who is now I think just turned fifteen months old, right? Yeah, he just turned fifteen months old, and he's treed a little over hundred coons by himself. He's been in the woods a total of maybe six times with another dog, seven times tops. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and I know I've been with Clyde. I've seen him in action. Um, and uh, what um, – let's let's pick him up there where he started to treat coons on his own. What, what did you see and how did he progress uh, up to where he is now? Okay, well, the first thing <clears throat> that I noticed about Clyde, and it's – it's one of the biggest faults I got to him is he's a ball mouth tree dog. And uh, some people like it, some people hate it, some people don't care. I don't particularly prefer it, but uh, he he was at the beginning he was not a hard tree dog. You you would he would tree, you would get to him, he would stop, he would mill around the tree, 
you know, he his his mind wasn't all the way in it. And uh, so I just started when he would tree, I would tie him up and I would let him tree. And uh, he started treeing harder, harder, harder. Uh, even after he treed probably 20 coons, sometimes you turn him loose, he wouldn't go 100 yards. He would turn and come back to you. Like, like we was talking about earlier, just time, just kept hunting him. Uh, now you turn him loose, 10 minutes, he's 700 yards tree somewhere. And uh, it's just, it's all, all goes back to time, how much time you put into it. Well, there, there again, you know, I've often thought we think about bird dogs and, you know, retrievers and, and all that and how much the trainer is involved with that dog's progress and this and we're training, training, training. I've always believed in, with coon hounds, it's mostly genetics, okay? The dog's really got to be bred to do it. And there's a lot of little side roads that you can get off on that, on the uh, subject of genetics because, you know, you get into things about how does the dog hunt? What kind of nose does he have? Does he move around good? Um, does he try to find a coon? You know, uh, when he trees, does he stay treed? Is he a one-bark tree dog, or does it take him a while to settle in? You know, you bring up the subject of whether or not the dog is a chopper or a ball mouth tree dog. I will say right here that Clyde does have a distinct locate. There's no question about it when he comes treed, is there? No. When, when, he, when he comes treed, he's treed, he's not leaving, and he's going to have a coon. That's what I like about this young dog, and he certainly will go hunting. And uh, I, I am so appreciative, Keston, the fact that you, you know, send me videos and things when you're out there hunting. And um, there's no question the dog will go hunting for sure. And uh, I know the other night uh, you were hunting him, he went over a mountain or over the top way, a long way, I don't know. But there's no question that he'll go hunting. And you don't live on tabletop flat country where you hunt. Uh, no. Describe no. it a little bit. It's a good time to, to. It's There's two different types of trains. They're sort of rolling hills, uh, but you can also get into some rough stuff like mountain laurel. Uh, you get in Clinch Mountain, uh, big boulders, rock breaks coming out of the mountain. So, I mean, you pretty much pick and choose, but there ain't nothing flat. There, there's some stuff that's. Not too bad, you know, just rolling hills. But there, then there's also some rough stuff too. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, he pretty much takes any kind of terrain that you put him in. It doesn't seem to bother him much, does it? No, you can come down here and get him out of the kennel any night you want to hunt. You, I mean, you're going to trade him no matter where you turn him loose. Uh, never hunted him outside of Virginia. Don't know how that'll go, but hopefully one day. Oh, we're gonna. We're going to take care of that, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, well, um, this thing about it is accuracy. It, it's just, um, we were talking about that a little bit before uh, we recorded. And there's been very few trees that you didn't find a coon in when he treed, right? Oh, yeah. very. very well, I'm going to say out of, well, I know. Out of over 100 trees, there's been four trees that I haven't found a coon in. And he's treed two den trees, and he has treed two possums when he was a lot younger. 
Yeah, and we talked about the fact, I know the other night you told me, you said, uh, well, he treed, and I didn't find the coon, but I'm going to call that, what, slick tree number four or some such. I don't know what what you told me. But yeah. You're not very forgiving with, on those leafy trees, are you? No, if I don't see eyes, it's slick. I mean, the only way I call it circle or something like that is if there's a, a obvious hole. I feel like if if you can if you can see the tr- the tree good enough to tell there ain't a hole in it, you ought to be able to see it. Kind of. Well, I think that when someone takes the sport as seriously as you do, and and here again, what I'm reminded of is you're out there one on one with this dog. Now uh, we talk about electronics. And you do put a, a Garmin collar on the dog, but you've never had a TT15 on that dog, have you? The dog has never been shocked in his life. I, I can discold him. I can get on to him. I can talk rough to him. And I can, I mean, he listens. He minds. And going back, he was talking about the training and the natural genetics. If there's anything that I've taught Clyde, it's, you know, to come back when I holler, uh, no, he knows what no means. Other than that, I've not taught the dog nothing. The dog's taught me. Well, he's I've obviously a smart. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said I've just gave him opportunity. He's taught me. I've just put him in woods with cats. I mean, that's all. That's all there is to it. That's all I did. Well, I, I think that's a, a important point to make, and we kind of, uh, you know, I guess I was kind of joking with you. But when you and I, uh, there's kind of a history too because uh, you know you you hunted the cruise dog for me for a while and we were we were disappointed in cruise. Uh, there's no denying it. Uh, you know I I enjoyed cruise so much up to a point uh, when he began missing, and um, you know you had him there and it was pretty obvious to you that he was missing. And all that, but we talked about a lot of things about these dogs, you know, and about uh, uh, the accuracy and all. And I had a point there that I was going to make, and it's escaped me for for just just a few minutes here. But from the get go, you know, when you and I started talking, uh, you had as you have aspirations someday of getting into the night hunts and hunting this dog. Uh, in the night hunts, but what, where do you stand right now, uh, in your opinion, with Clyde and where you are on the journey as far as uh, him being a dog that you, you want to take to town? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I've been on two night hunts my whole life. I didn't hunt neither one. I spectated. And uh, <clears throat> one was a youth hunt here at home, and one was at Autumn Oaks when Lane Denny took me out. And, uh, that's the only experiences I got besides watching it on social media. And uh, I just feel like that uh, maybe by next spring, <clears throat> I'll start putting him in some hunts. I just want him to be 100% before I take him because I feel like there'll be less, less confrontation taking a dog that's ready than having to try to argue to get him food. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not the type that's going to argue. If I go, I'm going to be ready to go. <clears throat> and, uh, I just, 
I need to hunt him with some other stuff. Like I said, he's not been in the woods with nothing but himself. Uh, so I'm going to start hunting with some strange dogs, some strange places uh, through this kill season. And uh, hopefully next spring is when I'll start taking him to some hunts. Well, again, uh, that word of patience, I think, comes in right there because, uh, you know, a lot of guys would have had him in hunts already. And I may have been one of those guys because I think that in many ways he's certainly ready. He, he certainly com- is going to be competitive, and he's going to break some hearts. There's no question about it in my mind. Uh, but uh, there again, you're, you're being methodical about it. You're taking your time with him. You have goals, and you're willing to put the time in. Uh, I just think that uh, you've got an... Um, really a nice young dog there and uh, I think evidenced by the fact of living in southwest Virginia and being able to uh, with confidence go out there and turn him loose and know that you're going to treat coon and um, uh, it's something especially in that country and I think any listeners that we have that are from that part of the world knows how uh, uh, what an accomplishment that is all right. Well, I don't. I don't know that we have. Um, what do you see right now with Clyde? Things you'd like to change about him, if you could. If I if I could sit down and make a list of things to change about him, I would definitely change the way he trees the ball mouth. I would definitely change that. Uh, when you first recut him, or when you first cut him out of the truck, he has a little bit of downtime. He might run out there two hundred yards and mill around for a few minutes. And then he'll go on. Some nights you go cut him loose, and, I mean, he's just farther the faster, you know. He moves around real good. And uh, But from what I've seen, I went and hunted with some a guy the other night, and uh, he had another young dog. And uh, from what I've seen, I'm going to have to start hunting him with some other stuff to get him used to other dogs because, I, mean, I mean, he wanted to play with the other dog. I mean, he wasn't interested in going hunting for the first 30 minutes, and then finally he went on, and uh, he treated and had two coons, but uh, stuff uh, like that. Okay, well, I think we can maybe, I don't want to make excuses for him, but I guess I am. You've got a dog at the house that's been in heat the last three weeks. Yeah, sitting right beside of Right beside of him. This young dog was actually a pup, wasn't she, about five months old or so? I believe she was just four months old. Four. And it, she and was also a female. A female. And naturally, when you take a young dog along with a pup that wants to play, that puppy's going to come out in that young dog because it just just now turned 15 months old. Um, you know, Clyde still got, some, I'm sure, some puppy ways. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we are led to believe on, on social media that, you know, by that age, they ought to be walking on water and talking on TV. But but that's just not <laughs> realistic, is it? So No, it's definitely not. Yeah. And you can't expect him. I, I mean, I wouldn't say. You can't expect a dog to, you know, not want to play with another puppy, especially if it's the only dog that he's seen in four months. Yeah. I yeah. mean. Well, and I think that's going to be probably for you the next phase of his training if i recall how we've discussed this is you are going to try to get him out with some strange dogs 
different dogs, mix it up and so forth. Till, you know, in training pups years ago, uh, well, all through the years for me, I used to say I'd take a pup out in the woods and walk him and all, until all the new goes away. In other words, when you take a, first take a little puppy out in the woods, everything's new to him. All the smells are new. A butterfly's the same as a coon or a deer, you know. I mean, it's something he hasn't seen before. He, he's inquisitive, you know. He might chase butterflies. Um, you know, so you continue to take them until they become accustomed to things. And like you mentioned, there you, you uh, hunt around the farms, there and the livestock that's there and all these things and uh, another thing about Clyde that we haven't mentioned is you know and and he strayed a little bit but he hasn't been junky at all has he or no, pretty much uh, not no he's not and uh, you know I can think of two times that he's run a deer and uh, I got on to him the first time and I want to say he was probably eight months old when he done it and it was just off site. He ran it straight across the field, never even opened on it, just looking at it. And he ran it right by me. And uh, the second time was, was just the other night, and I don't know what caused it. And he ran one right – the guy I was hunting with, I mean, he ran it right past us. And But, you know, it was off site. As soon as it bounced over in the woods, he was done with it. Mm-hmm. I, more or less, I think he was just trying to figure out what it was. And the way you corrected him was just with your voice, right? just hollered at him yeah i mean he minds good yeah and i I think i think a big part of that him minding and uh he don't the older he gets he he's sort of getting hard-headed on coming back to you when you holler at him but i think the biggest part of that him minding me coming back from me and my kids spending so much time with him him staying in the house with us the dog stayed in the house with us all winter long the dog's never bathroom in the house and that's something else i can say about clyde around the house down here in the kennel now you never hear him bark you look down at any time during the daytime he don't come out of his house during the daytime he lays right there in that dog house the only time you'll see him out of that house is if you come down here and holler at him or it's dark or he sees a flashlight up there and he thinks that i'm going to let the tailgate down to go hunt all right and, now there's a there's something to be said there when you first got him at four months old, he was pretty vocal in the kennel, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Went and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he bought, and that's part of the reason why he ended up being in the house for a little while. Yeah. He, he and, just uh, wanted to be around his peeps instead of being yeah, out there yeah. in that kennel. Well, there again, you know, we can't overstress that enough, Keston, that, yeah. you know, it's a process. You know, when I wrote my book, Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey. And my my friend Heath Heights kind of picked up on the word journey for his podcast over there. And Heath lives there in Virginia, probably a couple hours from you, something like that. But anyway, it is a journey, one step at a time with these dogs. And uh, and things change with them. And, and uh, you know, the dog that you see it, Four months old, it's not going to be the dog you're going to have at 14 months old or, or 24 months old or 48 months old. They're, they're going to make progress and go if they're bred right, and he certainly is. Well, listeners out there, I know you're sitting here listening to Keston talk. There's a lot of you, probably most of you, 
that would love to have a young hound that you can go out to the kennel, load him up, drive out to a place where you know there's apt to be coons, unsnap that dog, and see him go hunting on his own without any help, get struck, get treed, and walk up to that tree and see eyes. Now, at his age, you can, you know, the Las Vegas, uh, the odds on a dog like Clyde would be, you know, pretty pretty uh, convincing that, that, you know, you're going to see Kunites when you walk up there. And to me, I think that's amazing. And I think it is uh, two things. One is his breeding. And two is your determination, your ability as a hunter to go out there and put him in the position where those genetics can take over and he can do what he was bred to do. And uh, that's the formula. I think that's a winning formula when it comes to young dogs. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And it's just like going back to the first dog ever had I was telling you about. I, I sat here and I told you that I didn't teach quite nothing. He taught me. And that's just like the first dog I ever had. I told you were probably the best dog I've ever had. And, you know, if you remember, I was telling you, I didn't teach her nothing either. I, I, she ran loose around the house. I heard her treat. I went to her, started putting her in the kennel. She taught herself. And uh, same way with Clyde. The only difference is where I live now, I can't leave him loose. I just took him every night and let him run. Okay. So, two of the best dogs ever had. They, that's what they got in common. Completely different bloodlines, but they got the same common thing, just – Good genetics. Well, plus you hunted them and you gave them a chance. And, yeah. Uh, okay. We're going to leave Clyde for a minute, unless you can think of something else we ought to discuss about him before we before we go. Do you? Can you? Uh, well, I can, back to how smart he is. Uh, I mean. The, this is this is some stuff that the kids taught him. I mean, he shakes your hand, uh, he sits, he'll lay down. Uh, as far as kennel manners go, you know, this might not be much to some people, but it does to me. And it might be where I hunt so much, and he knows he's going. He knows he's getting hunted every night. But a lot of dogs in the kennel, you know, they'll make a mess out of their kennel. And I can honestly say that Clyde's kennel. I can't tell you the last time he sprayed his side out. I mean, he, he don't even use the bathroom in the kennel. I mean, he's house trained. He he waits till night when we go hunting for he uses the bathroom. I mean, he's just smart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And all the best dogs that I've had down through the years, and most hunters will agree, were smart dogs. Uh, yeah. That's, a, that's an element that you really have to have. If that pup is not smart enough to process the training or, or the opportunities that you're giving him you're just beating your head against the brick wall and, yeah and uh, go ahead yeah there's another thing that just hit me and uh, some people might not believe this but uh, i can take him and i can get rid of turning him loose and i can walk him to the bottom of a ridge and uh get rid of snap him and you can watch him you unsnap him he'll run 50 yards he'll stop 
he'll throw his head up there. And if that wind is blowing down that ridge toward the bottom, he'll shoot down the bottom of that ridge and run the bottom of that ridge. If that wind is blowing up that ridge, he'll get to the top of that ridge and go out the top of that ridge. And I've never hunted with a dog that knows how to play the wind like that. I see. Well, that is kind of unusual because you would like to think, well, he's going to go with his nose in the wind, but he's yeah. going to where he thinks the wind's carrying the scent, uh, I suppose. Yeah, like the specific places that I hunt, you know, your predominant winds, you know, it, it's more of a crosswind. He can hunt a crosswind. He don't always got to have it in his face. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's smart. Well, that goes with all the good ones, or the are smart ones, that's for sure. All right. Now, you and I took on a project together after uh, uh, what I've really enjoyed, our friendship, Keston, and the times that we spend on the phone and talking to dogs. And, and it, I call it productive time because, um, you know, we I think, you learn things, and I learn things definitely when I talk to you. And um, a while back, uh, I don't even remember when, uh, I bought a half interest in a track man semen puppy from Randy Smith. And uh, we, uh, the first owner of the puppy was very, very busy. And uh, I, and the puppy was not showing any signs at that point that she wanted uh, to be a coon dog or any kind of a game treeing dog. She was just pretty much indifferent. Uh, but she also hadn't been fooled with very much. Uh, and uh, so I asked my partner uh, if if he would consider selling his half because I knew that this pup needed to be in the hands of somebody that was really going to put the time in, really going to give the dog the opportunity night after night to be what her uh, genetics said that she should be. And I couldn't think of anybody that fit that description any better than you. So I contacted you, and you correct me if I'm wrong anywhere here. But I ask you about, would you be interested? And and my partner and I had already discussed it. He was willing to let his half go. And uh, I talked to you about it. And uh, what what was your your thoughts back then when uh, when I asked you about uh, going halves with me on this pup? I was all for it. You know, uh, Clyde was already treeing his own cones. Uh, and yeah, I was all for it. You know, I really thought that it, I thought that it would be a lot easier. You know, I could do it how I done it before I got out of hunting. I could use Clyde to start this puppy, and I, you know, honestly, I thought it'd be a breeze. I thought it'd be a lot quicker than what it was with Clyde, but it sort of proved me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and we won't probably talk about how much we have invested in this pup, but it's a considerable amount. But, yeah. you know, it's also you can't go run down to Missouri to Kurt Arings and breed the track man anymore, you know. That's true, And yeah. uh, to get that opportunity, and, of course, uh, she came from the kennel of Randy Smith, 
and uh, from his Jillian female, who was out of Bone Collector, and his 2016 world champion, Biffy Sue female. So she had the, she's got the breeding behind her. Uh, she's been a bit of a challenge, but uh, I think uh, things are starting to look up. Uh, what uh, let's let's break down as they say uh, uh, when we're talking about athletes or ball teams or stuff like that. Let's break down this dog that we've named Lone Pine. Uh, what is it? What did we call her? Her name's Bonnie. Plus them up, Bonnie. Plus them up, Bonnie. We are being yeah. optimistic, right? With that yeah, that's name. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Bonnie came to your house. Now tell me what you know about Bonnie from that okay, day I got, forward. I got Bonnie, and uh, she was a little skittish around me. Uh, I'm sure, you know, the other people had had her since she was just a little puppy. I'm sure she had never been around nobody else. And uh, I want to say that I – I put her in the kennel, fed her, watered her, and I want to say I kept her for, what, two or three days before I put her in the woods, and I just started hunting her with quiet, and, uh, you know, she wouldn't go nowhere. I mean, 20 foot. I mean, she wouldn't get out of light, and uh, I would go into a tree, Clyde would tree. <clears throat> I would go into a tree. You would have to put her on a dog lead and drag her to get her to go with you. I mean, she, I don't know what caused it, but she's scared to death of another dog barking, and, uh, Basically, just like we've said before, just time. I just I took her every night, every night with Clyde, and she eventually got to where she'd walk into a tree by herself. Uh, <clears throat> she's uh, she started going hunting a little better by herself. You know, she'll get out there two, three hundred yards, which you know ain't real far, but it's a long way from where she started. And uh, she's actually I've seen her run a deer. Uh, I've heard her run some tracks. You know, deer's not exactly target game, but better than nothing for a start and then uh, here recently she she finally started treeing and uh then she came in heat i mean just as soon as she started she came in heat and, that's uh, the way they'll do you folks these yeah. females and of course they're well bred you want to keep them intact because you're hoping they're going to bring you your next world beater but uh, yeah. yeah, so she she's been in heat. In fact, I think as we're recording this podcast uh, here, uh, which will, by the way, air on September twenty sixth, uh, and it's really um, I'll, I'll put in a little plug here is I is my anniversary podcast because it's been one year since uh, I've been doing this Gone to the Dogs podcast. But at any rate, uh, Bonnie is now out of heat. And I guess ready to go to the woods again, isn't she? Yeah, uh, we actually, well, you did, uh, sent her collar off. We're waiting on her collar. I ain't much on turning one loose without a collar, you know. Uh, anything could happen. But just as soon as we get that collar back in, she'll be back in the woods. And uh, hopefully she'll pick up where she left off. Because, I mean, I'm telling you, she she got the tree in that night. And then, I mean, the next morning I come down to feed and she was bleeding. So, I mean. That's the kind of luck I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can remember, and I'll just paint this picture a little bit, and again, it, it's another page out of that patient's uh, uh, playbook, is that, you know, she went from a dog that, as you said, when he, when Clyde would, she'd want to go with him, but when he would open, it would scare her, and she'd come running back to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
and it, it wasn't just it wasn't just quiet. Uh, like here at the house, if if the neighbor's dog would bark, she would run in her doghouse. I mean, it was any dog that barked. I mean, I don't know. She was just scared of other dogs barking. Yeah, that's. Uh, I saw somebody po- post on social media the other day about a dog. When they first started, it, it seemed to be afraid of the other dogs barking. Now, I had not never experienced that with my dogs down through the years, but that was definitely her. And then I can remember you sending me pictures of her where Clyde would be hunting and she would be just out there maybe, oh, I don't know, 150, 200 feet or something like that, just curled up. Um, yeah, she'd she lay down on you. Mm-hmm. Now, we did do, I suggested to you that you kind of go out there and sit down and maybe take a little uh, little keen switch or something. And did do you remember uh, remember that phase? Yeah, I switched her a few times, you know. I, I didn't take Clyde, and I took her out by herself, and I just went out there and sat down on a log. And she'd come running up to me, you know, and wanted to sit right there beside of me, and I'd take a little switch and switch and tell her to go on. And uh, – that that helped some, and uh, she started going. And then I think I think what really set her off to going was just like I told you what I done with Clyde I, with the other dog. He was treeing these coons, wasn't barking up, and I would I tied him back, and I would pick this other dog up. Well, I've done that a few times with Bonnie, and uh, I would drag her into the tree. And I would go down there and I would talk to Clyde. I would pet him up. I'd get him real excited. And I think she started to see, you know, relate that tree with positive things and the barking with positive things. And since then, she used to never bark in the kennel or nothing. Since then, she's a lot more vocal. She'll bark in the kennel every now and then. Uh, it's, I mean, it worked wonders on her. You know, I used to wonder – when my when I was young and see my dad with a litter of puppies and we had uh, fence posts around the my dad's kennel was a little different than some he kept his dogs at night chained uh, to a stake a short chain to their doghouse so they couldn't get out of the pen he didn't have individual kennel runs for his dogs. So it was just a big pen, really, with a six-foot uh, uh, or higher um, fence around it. Anyway, my dad would take the feed bowl at time to feed puppies, and he'd he'd kind of shake it and, and let them get a good smell of it. And then he'd set it up on the, on the fence post and encourage them to bark. And I think that's a good thing to do with tree dog puppies, to encourage them to bark when they're little, especially to bark at something up over their heads. Because um, some dogs I see, and, and Bonnie was an example, you know, she didn't have any idea of that concept. You know, she didn't, uh, she really wasn't, it was as if she was afraid to bark. Yeah. So yeah. I think if you can, and I realize if you have neighbors and, and all that, but if you get a young puppy, you know, um, and you don't want them barking in the kennel, I understand that. So they're not going to understand, well, it's okay to to bark, uh, you know, at my feed bowl, but it's not okay to bark when nobody else is around. So, you know, uh, doing it in the pen, I guess it's not a good idea. But 
for me, and there may be arguments out there, I believe encouraging puppies to bark at a young age is a good thing, especially in a breed like a hound where you do want them to open on track and, and on tree. Well, we I tr- believe that too. Yeah. Well, we tried another little thing to try to make her a little bit uh, envious of what, what Clive was doing, and that was by tying her back, right? Yeah, yeah, and I've done that. And, Steve, I'll tell you something else, too, that uh, completely blew my mind that happened last night, actually, that I, I haven't even told you about yet. And this this sort of goes back to Clyde and being smart, like I was telling you, and Bonnie and progressing in the being vocal. Uh, last night, my wife came to the house, and she said, uh, Bonnie is down there barking. I don't know what she's barking at. And I walked to the window. And, I mean, you should have heard her. She sounded treat. I mean, just every breath. Well, I walked down the stairs, and I got my light. And I was just going to step out the door and get her to hush. And I turned my light off, or I turned my light on. And there was a cone down here about 15 foot in front of the dog kennel eating wet dog food that I'd sprayed out. And she's going crazy over that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get on to her nothing. I sort of ran that cone off, and she barked about 20 minutes. And she finally quit. And, you know, Clyde never barked a bark. And, uh <laughs> You know, and it, I mean, I think it's smart. I mean, on Bonnie's part, you know, she, she's learning. I mean, I'm proud of her for that. But on Clyde's part, I'm proud of him too. I mean, he's got a switch. He knows when it's time and when it's not. Yeah. It's just like my wife sent me that picture before Bonnie got here of a coon sticking his hands through and eating dog food in the daytime out of Clyde's bowl and him just sitting there watching it. <laughs> and not barking. I mean, that's that's got to be brains. You know what I'm saying? Well, it is, and it's it's brains in both uh, departments there. Now with Bonnie, I think you know that flip that as we talk about that switch is flipped with her. Yeah, she. Yeah. In fact, that's what's been killing both of us. The fact that she's been in heat for the last three weeks. It's because we know that it's flipped, and we just can't wait to see what the next stage is going to be with her because this was a pup that showed absolutely no interest in a coon uh, to begin with and has progressed to this point through through uh, some luck, I guess, and also th- through some steps, and you and I have discussed it pretty much every step of the way, um, yeah. you know. And when you say no interest, I mean, she had no interest. Uh, I had picked a coon up that had been hit by a car. And, you know, any dog would uh, any dog will mess with something like that. And, you know, she didn't even have no interest in that. I mean, just yeah. nothing. N- nothing. Uh, and when I first started taking her out, she was scared to death of cows. I, I don't understand that. But she was scared to death of cows. Now she'll blow right through a herd of cows and not look at them, you know, not slow down a bit. Yeah. And uh, she's come a long way. Well, I think if there would be a theme for this uh, podcast, and we've already talked almost an hour, uh, about 40 seconds we'll have an hour in. Uh, the theme of this thing, for you out there that's got uh, that have invested in a nice pup, uh and uh, or maybe raised it yourself, whatever. You've got this puppy. You want to take it down uh, through the steps to become a coon dog. I think the overwhelming 
main point to our discussion is to have patience with these pups and give them opportunities to learn and don't be heavy-handed with them. Now, again, Bonnie, I don't know, has she had a bark collar on at all? Uh, not since she's been here. I've never put one on her. Right. Uh, neither one of these dogs out here have ever been shocked for anything. There we go. Now, I know that's probably not going to do our friends at DU Hunting Supply <laughs> any good as far as business. And I will take the opportunity to thank Buddy Woodbury and Jason Doobie and all the folks out at W Hunting Supply for making this podcast uh, possible each week. Uh, we couldn't do it without you fellas. And if you need anything uh, in the way of hunting apparel, gear, whatever it is, you need it fixed, you need customer service on it. Uh, Keston mentioned that uh, I've sent in a, a T5 collar. We're going to trade up to the T5X uh, for Bonnie. And uh, But anyway, those guys out there can sure fix you up, and they'll take care of you after the sale as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, the thing that comes to mind here is you don't have to have a heavy hand. You don't have to make them ride the lightning, as some guys say. And I, I see this, and I want to thank guys like Heath Hyatt over there that's been preaching this gospel with his podcast and all about using these things sparingly. Uh, yes, they're a tool, and they can be effective. And at some point, I know you and I have talked a little bit about Clyde uh, occasionally wanting to uh, stay at a hole. And when you hunt in the mountains, that's not such a great thing, is it, Keston? No, it's very aggravating. And, you know, juice ain't all bad. You know, shocking them ain't all bad. It's just doing it right. You need to do it right. And if you don't know how to do it right, you need to talk to somebody that does know how to do it right. And that's the biggest reason for me not not shocking them. You know, I've never I've never had a shocking system. I've never had a, you know, I've never shocked a dog. And just me, I would rather not take a chance on messing one up, not knowing what I'm doing, than I would to just go out there shocking Right. Well, you're absolutely right. They can be uh, used to, for positive reinforcement. They, they can be a tremendous uh, training aid. And, uh, you know, teaching the tone to the dog, uh, the T15 collar having that tone, a lot of times can, can assist you and speed the process of getting a good recall on that dog where, you know, if he's getting near a road or onto property, you don't want to be, uh, don't want him to be. Uh, so there's many, many positive aspects, but in the wrong hands, you can create problems that sometimes you can't overcome. So that's that's certainly a good, good, uh, good point. Well, okay, we've talked about Bonnie and Clyde, two notorious outlaws in history. I think these guys are going to be pretty good citizens, and I can't wait over the next few weeks and months as the hunting seasons come in and all to uh, hear how these these two nice young dogs and Bonnie, you know, she she had a scratch in her head and uh, and doubting uh, our methods, I'm sure at times, but uh, she's beginning to turn the corner now too. All right, you asked me a while back about what I would prefer 
to do to go to either the Grand American Coon Hunt in Orangeburg, South Carolina, or go to Autumn Oaks out in Richmond, Indiana. Now, I believe I told you that I would want you to do both, but I told you to go to Autumn Oaks first, didn't I? Yeah, that's right. You told me Autumn Oaks is the place to go. What was your experience, your first time ever to be at a big hunt, and uh, and and you chose the granddaddy of them all, uh, UKC's Autumn Oaks, been there since, well, actually started off in the state of Indiana, moved around a little bit, came back to Indiana in 1984, uh, came to Richmond, Indiana, where it is in 1992, has been there ever since. What was your, uh, maybe what were some of your thoughts before you got there that you thought it might be, and then how uh, how was it? All right. Uh, well, to start with, the only other big hunt I'd ever been to with vendors and stuff like that was the Walker Days, and uh, it's a lot bigger than Walker Days. And uh, before now you're done, talking I, about southeastern tree and Walker Days. Down yes. at Union, South Carolina, right? Yes. Okay, yes. I just wanted to clarify that. Clarify that because there is also uh, a UKC, the Train Walker Breeders and Fanciers, have their Walker Days. It's usually in Indiana, but anyway, go ahead. All right. Uh, and before going down there, I told you I would I would like to go out on a cast, you know, just experience it. You told me you'd set me up with somebody. And just from the social media stuff, watching some of this stuff, you know, I'm thinking, well, there ain't nobody going to take me hunting. You know, nobody knows me. I ain't going to go get to go hunting. And uh, so anyhow, I went down there and I met you. And uh, I was really surprised how friendly everybody was. I mean, you complete stranger. And they, they talked to you like they told you your whole life. And uh, you set me up with Wayne Denny. You know, I would have never guessed I'd ever went hunting with Wayne. But uh, that was a great experience. He took me out on a cast, uh, sort of really showed me what it was like. You know, it's nothing like social media tries to make it sound. There was no arguing, no fighting, no bickering. They just hunted, called their dogs, and uh, had a winner at the end of the hunt. And uh, But I really enjoyed sitting in the media center with you, listening to the stories, listening to the, all the older guys talk. Uh, it was just great. Had a lot of fun. Well, you uh, you saw uh, got to to do some shopping. Yeah, yeah. I jokingly yeah. on another podcast told said that the vendors were having a real good day because I, every time I saw you, you were coming from the vendors' barn with something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it, it was great to get to see all these dogs that uh, you know most people don't get to see. If you do get to see them, it's just a picture of them on Facebook or something. Uh, the Willie dog was there, uh, the bone collector dog, uh, all the money dogs. Uh, it was just a neat experience to get to see all that. And uh, you got to meet Nevin Moore, your friend. Uh, really thought a lot of him. Uh, Clayton Starr, the Houndtooth podcast guys. Got to meet them all. Well, that's the thing about Autumn Oaks that makes it great. It's, it, just about everybody's there, you know. And even a lot of the PKC hunters, are they're down the road at North Vernon, Indiana, uh, for the Labor Day Classic, but they tend to come up to Autumn Oaks during the daytime either to shop or just to, 
to get, you know, that autumn flavor of all these coon hunters walking around at big fairgrounds. A lot of campers there. And, of course, I told you, Keston, you know, autumn oaks is not quite back to what it was pre-COVID, but it is definitely improving and uh, much better uh, than it was two years ago. And then last year was a, kind of a comeback year, and now this year was even better. And I look forward to continue, you know, uh, to grow back to its its former state. But it's just a place for people to go to get a coonhound experience at at what I call the next level or the premium level. And yeah, uh, and you know, it was honestly, uh, uh, it was a lot bigger than I expected it to be. I mean, just all the vendors, all the people. I didn't expect that many people. The campers camping. Uh, you know, I I didn't expect none of that. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, it, it, that's part of uh, Autumn Oaks. People like to come there and camp. They set up their camps. And in the evening after the dogs go out, of course, we kind of headed back to the hotel and, you know, get supper and all. Well, you hunted on Friday night. But, um, and then, of course, Nubbin and I scooted out on you on Saturday night there to head back to Alabama. But um, anyway, that that's all part of the experience that people look forward to year after year. And to, to make that uh, National Grand Night Champion of the Year uh, title is just something that's that's over-the-top good for whoever wins it. And uh, I can remember I, I called it the event where history is made, and there's so many dogs' names that you recognize as being great dogs in history that earned that recognition, or at least part of it, by being at Autumn Oak, so... Well, I was glad you got to go, and uh, it was a real trip for me to see you interacting. And the boys on the uh, Houndstooth Podcast Network, there, the Coon Hunting Confidential, they mentioned you in their episode uh, this last week, and uh, and it was positive. They didn't say anything bad about you. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to them. I talked to them there for a little while. Well, I want to give those guys a shout out. You know, I I know back in the early days when when Houndsman XP was the only game in town, you know, we kind of looked over our shoulder at people that were trying to put together a podcast, and we were kind of the innovators or, or the first ones for for tree dogs. And uh, so, you know, but now, man, it, there's several out there, and it's just so cool to see. And I'll be honest with you, you know, when I listen to podcasts, I love that podcast with uh, with uh, Daniel and, and Dustin and Ryan. They're so doggone funny. Now, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm kind of like uh, nubbing, you know. I, I'm i not a, a, a total convert on some of those stories that their guests tell, you know. <laughs> some of them I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I can can believe that or not but at any rate just the entertainment uh, value of that podcast is is high on my list and and i think you know it it's become the the one uh one outside of the du uh uh podcast that i hear uh you know i like that confidential so it's it's a good time so if you haven't checked it out guys go just to uh uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or 
wherever Google, wherever you get your podcasts and check them out. Uh, it's a fun time for sure. And I wanted to get those guys to sit down with me uh, in the booth and uh, and let's do a you know a, a short session because I know it would have been entertaining. But we didn't get it done. But I'm going to make that a target for uh, Grand American at at the end of the year uh, to try to get those guys all three on a podcast and be be a lot of fun. Well. What's your overall uh, forecast for this coming hunting season? What do you think? Uh, think you you're going to have a lot of fun? You got plans? What what's the what's the next step? I'd say I'll just keep on keeping on, uh, keep going to the woods, hunt six nights a week, seven nights a week. Uh, work sort of slows down in the winter time, uh, so that gives me even more time to hunt. And uh, well, you know, I like to deer hunt too. And, oh yeah, uh, I'm I'm hoping to get in on a little of that this year later on. Yeah, after yeah, my White River so. trip. So uh, yeah, so and, get me but, one staked out there somewhere, would you? Just oh, I'll do it. A nice easy it. one. And uh, basically, from uh, around Halloween until April, uh, it's pretty much all I do is hunt. Uh, work slows down, and hunting sort of. I don't know if it could pick up any more than what it already is but it uh frees up a lot of time they're for keeping them. you busy right now at this time of yeah. year though for sure aren't they yeah well, well the main thing that changes instead of getting to hunt you know two three hours a night it'll be more hunt from dark to daylight type style yeah exactly <laughs> well you've done your homework with these two young dogs you you got them <laughs> you know timing couldn't be better well, hunting season's coming up and uh, and I'm just looking forward to a whole lot of phone calls. And within about a week or so, I'm going to be up there checking your oil. I'm going to be, I'm going to make sure if this is all hype or you telling me the truth about these. Yeah, dogs. you have to come up and go again. <laughs> I'm certainly planning on doing that. I I look forward to it. Keston, have we not have we missed anything that we should have talked about? Uh, not that I know of. Well, are you going hunting tonight? Foolish question. But, definitely going tonight. I didn't get to go last night, so I'm definitely going tonight. I I see. Well, you told me earlier that when we recorded this, we needed to kind of have a, a time limit here because you got uh, your little what, little girl's a cheerleader, I believe you told me, and you've got a yeah. function to go to with her. Yeah, we got to go get her cheer pictures taken and then uh, – Hunt tonight, my one day a week off was last night, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> gotta get back out there tonight and uh, hopefully do some good and uh, hopefully get that collar in the mail here soon and get Bonnie back in the woods. And, well, the, uh, I can promise you, those good folks, I sent a note, those good folks at DU Supply, they're gonna get their, that thing to you so quick, you're just gonna be totally surprised. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, folks, uh, it's been a great visit here today for me. I get to visit with this guy by phone just about every day because, and I think you can see why. This guy has the energy, the insight, uh, the passion for our sport of coon hunting like uh, nobody I've seen in a long time. Uh, I I know that there's going to be a bright future for you uh, Keston in this sport as you continue on. I'm looking forward to a long relationship with you as we 
we uh, have these this dog together and and uh, but at any rate it's been really good to have you on the podcast and and I appreciate you that uh, for that folks uh, I will tell you that the uh, gone to the dogs hats are in uh, the trucker style hat the mesh back it's you either get the black with the gray back, a black front with the gray back, or the green front with a white back. And those are available at stevefielderbooks.com. Uh, the shipping is free. I also have copies of Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey, the book that I wrote about my experiences over the years with coon hunting. And uh, folks tell me that they enjoy it, and I'm sure you will too. And there again, it's available at stevefielderbooks.com. Well, that's going to be a wrap for our podcast for today, folks. And uh, I wish you a great hunting season coming forward. Um, This, uh, the World uh, Championship Finals are coming up for UKC, the Fall Super Stakes, and the PKC World Hunt all coming right up. We'll try to report on some of those things as we go forward. But for now, if anybody asks you, where's Steve Fielder? Where's that old coon hunter? You tell him, he's gone to the dogs. Thank you.